0: Welcome to another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot. She called us to live to a higher standard each day, to not be satisfied with throwing a little religion into life. That's a shallow substitute for what God wants for us. As the series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others who are influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. Today we think about prayer for the battle as we have Parts 7 and 8 of the Amy Carmichael story, Lessons in Prayer and Obedience, and then A Christian's Battle. We'll hear from a longtime Charleston friend of Lars and Elizabeth, Jean Hamilton. Jean will be talking about postcards and prayer, about a granddaughter who was named after Elizabeth, and more. Artist and speaker Margaret Ashmore will also join us to talk about prayer prayer and missionaries. First though, part seven of the Amy Carmichael story, Lessons in Prayer and Obedience. You are loved
1: with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking with you this time about lessons in prayer and obedience from the life of Amy Carmichael. I did want to mention that we've been getting some wonderful response from listeners, and I appreciate your being willing to listen. We've been talking about Amy Carmichael, an Irish missionary who went to India and whose biography I have written under the title A Chance to Die. In the past few days, we've gotten her to Japan, where she went for one year before she knew that God was going to put her in India. She assumed that Japan was going to be God's place for her for the rest of her life, but we will see what happened. She was living with an English missionary family by the name of Buxton, and they were disciplined and regulated people. They had a schedule every morning from 9 to 12.30. Amy would have language lessons. Then they had dinner, and dinner to them was in the middle of the day, And for the rest of the missionaries, there was a rest period, but not for Amy. To her, that was indefensible that any missionary who was really uh, in good health and meaning to use his time wisely could possibly take a whole hour out of the day just for rest. So she took that rest hour to teach English to a little boy. Then it was tea time. Then they went out visiting. Then it was time for tea again. Then she had a one-hour Bible study with a young man. Her fellow missionaries tried to persuade her that the schedule was unrealistic, but she tackled it with a smile, or as someone has said, they said it couldn't be done, so she tackled it with a smile, and she couldn't do it. Well, in one of her letters home, she tells about the difficulties of finding quiet for study. Let me read an excerpt from one of her letters. Downstairs squeaks a concertina, to be born for the sake of the cause. Outside screams a baby, I wish I had some soothing syrup. From one quarter wails a street crier to whom nobody seems inclined to attend. From another hammers a cooper. But the worst of the worst is the nerve-distracting shriek of a terrible tin horn performed upon by a youth who has yet to learn compassion. She got terribly discouraged in the study of Japanese, and I can imagine how difficult it must be. I don't know a word of Japanese except hai. I think I can say that. I believe it means yes. Maybe it means no. But uh, this is her description. I shall never, never, never learn Japanese. You may put it on my tombstone, expired in despair. I'm in the middle of my lessons and have stopped short to tell you so. I answer all Misaki-san's expostulations by assuring her that it is much more important for me to warn you to send out no more missionaries to a land with such a language than to go on longer trying to learn it. The length of the words alone was daunting, and there's a word here that takes up half a line on the page. Don't expect me to attempt to pronounce it. But she says, here is the last straw which has broken the final back of my resolution. I wanted to say I like fine weather better than wet. Not a complicated expression, one would imagine. It's the twist of construction that staggers me quote, rain of coming down bad honorable weather than even good honorable weather of days of side good is. Well, that's the literal translation of a single Japanese word. She says, you may learn pages of this Paul Parrot fashion, but how to form other sentences in such a world. Poor Misaki-san is taking it quite seriously, and I am scribbling under a perfect hailstorm of Ah Visong San, which is her pronunciation of Amy's middle name, Wilson. Visong San, dozo stop and learn more. Please say not so, Ah Visong San. Her poor young teacher trying to persuade her not to despair and to continue to learn. Amy's letters home are vivid and lively and full of descriptions. She describes the dark rooms and the courtyards where they held gospel meetings, by interpretation, of course. Misaki-san was the interpreter. Amy spoke in English. They had meetings in streets, in factories, on farms. Many times they had to begin at 10 o'clock in the evening because the people didn't finish work until then. She was sent for one day because a man was possessed they said by a fox spirit she hurried to the house she found the man pinned to the floor with candles burning on his body he was engaging in the most horrible blasphemy she prayed for him they said does your lord jesus cast out demons like this and she said yes he does but she had prayed and fasted before she went. Well, it's a long story and a fascinating story included in my book, A Chance to Die. But in a very short time, the man was clothed in his right mind and praising God instead of blaspheming. She tells of wanting to go to a little town called Hiroshi where, as far as she knew, there were no Christians at all. And she was asking the Lord to teach her how to pray in accord with his will. The Lord has told us that if we ask anything in his name, he will hear us. And so she was asking the Lord to teach her how to pray that way. And when she was contemplating going to Hiroshi, she felt pressed in spirit to ask for one soul— The next day, she went to Hiroshi with Misaki-san, and a young silk weaver became a Christian. A month later, they went again. This time, she felt that God wanted her to ask for two souls. The silk weaver came back and brought a friend who that day found peace in Christ, and also an old woman who turned to the Lord. Two weeks later... They asked God again what he wanted them to do, and the answer was that four souls were to cross the line. By this time, other missionaries in Matsui had joined in prayer, and one of the men felt that it was a bit too much to ask for four souls, but he said he would ask for two. Things were not very encouraging when the women arrived, and the Hirose Christians balked at the idea of asking for four. Nobody in the town seemed the least interested. But, amazingly, Four people came to Christ on that day. Well, you guessed it, the next time she went, she wanted to know if she was to ask for eight. What was the petition to be? The answer was again, eight. And to ask for something that they did not receive, the Christians thought would be a very bad happening, and their faith began to tremble and totter. But Amy had no doubt that God wanted to give eight Well, I'm not going to go through the very interesting story of how those eight came in rather unexpected ways. But the next visit, she prayed, Shall I ask for 16? And the answer was no. No number at all was laid on Amy's heart. They went ahead to Hiroshi. They had the usual meetings. They prayed together with the Christians there. Some came to Jesus. But Amy did not know how many. We parted, she said, in a sort of singing silence. Well, what about the romance of missions? Is it romantic? Amy did her very best to persuade people not to imagine that there was anything romantic or interesting or glamorous in the least. Was it noble, grand, and pleasant? No, she said. One young missionary had said to her, I would go home tomorrow if I could. It is all a miserable disappointment, and I thought it would be so nice. Amy besought her friends, her girlfriends and cousins at home to consider the cry and the call, to welcome tests of any kind before they crossed the ocean, and to learn to die to self in any shape or form. Experience had quickly taught her that she couldn't survive the storms without the anchor the constraining love of christ she went through all kinds of silent battles and eventually she got what the doctors diagnosed as japan head this seems to be something to which missionaries were peculiarly subject and finally the doctors ordered her out of japan she must go home and stay there she was not fit physically to be a missionary in japan well she didn't go home she went to shanghai and while she was in Shanghai, again at the China Inland Mission home there, she believed that God was telling her to go to Ceylon. Ceylon, her fellow missionaries said, they were absolutely appalled. Whatever would give you such an idea? But once Amy believed that God had told her to do something, she had only one object in mind, and that was obedience. So to Ceylon, Amy Carmichael went and began at the bottom rung of another language ladder. She hadn't been there for very many weeks when she heard that her dear old man, Mr. Wilson, who had been like a father to her and she a daughter to him, had had a stroke. So before the year was out in 1894, she was back in England again. There were some tough lessons in prayer And obedience and trusting God when the way seemed very hard and very confusing before her.
0: Part 7 of the Amy Carmichael story, Lessons in Prayer and Obedience. Later on, we'll hear about a Christian's battle. First, though, it's Charleston friend Jean Hamilton, a friend of Lars and Elizabeth. She'll talk about postcards, prayer, her granddaughter, and more. Here's Jean Hamilton.
2: Well, anybody that wrote to her always got a postcard I think I remember writing to her that my daughter that she had prayed for how she the Lord had brought her out and she was being healed and that she was engaged and she wrote me um a postcard just to you know acknowledge you know that she'd gotten it and everything and 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 my daughter named her the middle name for my for my granddaughter is Elizabeth with an S and named after her and so I framed that little postcard and that You know, it's very special to us, and my my granddaughter has
0: that. A friend of Lars and Elizabeth, Jean Hamilton there. Later on, we'll hear from speaker and artist Margaret Ashmore. She talks about prayer and missionaries. Right now, though, it's A Christian's Battle, the story of Amy Carmichael, Part 8.
1: Am I speaking to anyone today who's having a real spiritual battle how about somebody who's having a mental battle or a physical battle or any other kind of a battle, maybe a moral battle? Well, whatever kind of a battle it is, remember that we are warned in Scripture that there is an enemy up against which the Christian always stands and has to fight with the whole armor of God. This is the description that Francois Coillard, a missionary of the Zambezi, wrote. Amy Carmichael often quoted this. The evangelization of the world is a desperate struggle with the prince of darkness and with everything his rage can stir up in the shape of obstacles, vexations, oppositions, and hatred, whether by circumstances or by the hand of man. It is a serious task. Oh, it should mean a life of consecration. And I do want to make sure that you understand that everything that I'm saying on this program has an application to every single one of us, regardless of what our job may be or whether we feel as though we are as remote as anyone could possibly be from a missionary like Amy Carmichael. Just this morning before I came to the studio... For this program, I received a call from my daughter in California. She had gotten up at 4.30 this morning. She made a list of 18 things that she wanted me to pray about. Things that just have to be done, she said, but I don't see how I can get to them. Well, I know that the enemy of souls is up against even a young mother who is coping with the very ordinary things like Getting a driver's license, getting the children immunized, taking things to the cleaners, getting buttons sewed on, what to do about root canals and the orthodontist when you've got six children. Can you imagine? Well, those were some of the things that were on Valerie's list this morning. Back to Amy Carmichael, our missionary. We told you in the last talk that she had had to leave Japan because of what they called Japan Head. She had terrible headaches and neuralgia, and who knows what else. But the doctors declared her unfit for missionary service overseas. Instead of going home, she went to Salon. She stayed in Salon only a few months before she was called back to England because of a stroke that her dear old man, Mr. Wilson, had. And so while she was in England, he was thinking that perhaps God had given her back to him but that was not, in fact, the case. She was sure that God wanted her to go back to some field. Which one was it to be? And so she ended up in India. She learned that the city of Bangalore in India had a healthy climate for foreigners, not nearly so hot as other parts of India. And so learning about missionaries that were working in Bangalore, she made contact with them, and as quickly as she could she took a boat and sailed to India. Well, once again, she plunged into the third language. Having learned some Japanese and having begun the study of the language of Ceylon, now she had to begin to study the language in India. Of course, there are many languages in India, but she had to start at the bottom rung of yet another one. She tells about the missionary's social activities. This, of course, was under the British Raj. There were hundreds, probably thousands, of Britishers in India. And missionaries had often made friends with them and had social activities in company with them, which were certainly not Amy's cup of tea. She could not justify the time that was spent in this way. To her, it was like making daisy chains while people were plunging blindly over a precipice. Once when the ladies were doing their fancy needlework and the men were reading missionary papers for discussion, the question was asked whether anyone knew of an Indian who would work without pay. Amy wrote, there was a dead silence. The lady near me was busy matching her silks. All the others went on with what they were doing. Not one, so far as I could see, was astonished or shocked by such a question. At last, one of the men said, I must confess, I don't know of an Indian who would work without pay. But I felt as if a thunderbolt had fallen in the midst of that pleasant company. It wasn't that I thought the question referred to those who could not work unless their expenses were paid. To have one's expenses paid if one had not money of one's own is apostolic. No, it was not that. It was that no one in that room knew of any who whether they had pay or not, were working purely for love of their Lord, who loved him enough to work for love's sake only. I had half expected that in the moment's silence that followed, we would be on our knees in shame and contrition before God. For if such things were true, whose fault was it? But no, the discussion passed on to something else, and there was a buzz of conversation. That was all. I went to bed that night in much perplexity of spirit. She longed to become one with the Indian people. She thought of him who had made himself nothing, of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant. She asked her friends to pray that she and her fellow missionaries would get down to the bottom of that verse. She refused segregation which was an absolute outrage among the British of the Raj in India. There had always been strict lines of demarcation between the Indian and the Englishman. To Amy, that was totally unchristian. And so she not only kept company with Indians, she identified with them in dress. She adopted the beautiful, probably the most beautiful, women's costume in the world, the Indian sari. She wore no shoes. She had dark hair and sometimes could pass for an Indian at a distance, except for the fact that she had blue eyes. She gathered around her a small group of very dedicated young Indian women, and they traveled as evangelists from village to village. She called this the band. She was also working with a couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Thomas Walker. And as a new missionary, they had invited her to come and travel with them while she was learning Tamil. And so it began this work of the band with the bandies. Now, a bandy was their vehicle in which they traveled. And Amy said that except for the Chinese wheelbarrow, the most tiring way of going that I ever came across is the Indian bandy. The Japanese kuruma, or Jinrikshaw, rickshaw, is bliss in comparison. Crash, bang, smash went the wheels on the rutted roads, jerking, pitching, lunging, and jolting the hapless passengers. One night, it was clear moonlight. We travel at night to escape the heat, she said. And at first I couldn't think of going to sleep, and I walked ahead of the bandies, disturbing various flocks of parrots who passed uncomplimentary remarks in consequence. When at last I settled down to slumber sweet... Saral, that was one of the women in the band, rolled over on top of me, bumping me black and blue. The bandy threw her at me, she said. Then we stuck in the mud, and Mr. Walker had to help push us out. I wish you could have seen us. One of Amy's saving characteristics was her sense of humor, and it comes out in the story of her life. But again and again, when they presented the gospel message with great earnestness, They found that it was not understood. "'Go,' said one woman. "'We neither want you, nor your book, nor your way.' An old leper called out, "'Who wants your Lord Jesus here?' A devil dancer with her hair matted and twisted, her face spotted and smeared with idol marks, snarled at them. "'Your God is no God. "'If I come to him, my devil God will kill me. "'He is God.' Yours died, you say, died and was buried. Your God is no God. Go away and tell your lies somewhere else. Who asks you to tell them here? Rejection. And in their rejection, the missionaries were permitted to share in the sufferings of Christ. Remember what Jesus said, Rejoice when men revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And that's the only reason that Amy Carmichael was able to call this hard, rigorous, itinerant evangelism blissful work. Is your work hard? Is it boring? Is it drudgery? Does it wear you out? If you do it for him, it might just be transformed into blissful work. One day, as they were traveling, they met a very unusual woman, an educated woman, a beautiful woman. They learned later that she was married to the gods. Amy did not know exactly what that meant then, but that was the very beginning of the work that God was to lead her into for the rest of her life. A Christian is in a battle, a spiritual warfare against spiritual wickedness in high places and forces of evil. May God enable us to stand.
0: Somebody has said if you only pray when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. And Corey Ten Boom asked, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? A Christian's battle. Part 8 in the Amy Carmichael story. Well, before we go, we have time to hear from speaker and artist Margaret Ashmore as she talks about prayer and about missionaries.
2: Well, as I recall, the only time we had a discussion about prayer, it was prompted by the number of people who were leaving the mission field in need of counseling. And while she was very understanding about the unique pressures and problems that that come from serving in a foreign land, she wondered out loud if missionaries, if believers spent more time at the foot of the cross, pouring out their hearts like Hannah in the Old Testament, that it would have their countenance changed into one of acceptance and joy. Indeed, we read in First Samuel, that after Hannah spent time before the Lord in intense prayer, that her face was no longer sad. And, and I will quote Elizabeth here. This hard place in which you perhaps find yourself is the very place in which God is giving you opportunity to look only to him, to spend time in prayer, And to learn long-suffering, gentleness, meekness. In short, to learn the depths of the love of Christ that's been poured out on all of us. She believed, Psalm 1611, that in his presence is fullness of joy.
0: Artist and speaker, Margaret Ashmore. Hey, have you taken time yet to leave a review of our time here together? From Australia comes a note. I didn't know about Elizabeth before her talks were shared with me a few months ago. Since then, I have listened to each talk multiple times. Her insights have helped me and guided me like nothing else. Her voice is just beautiful, and I love it when she mimics an accent or comes out with something that makes me burst out laughing. I have often been so lost and overwhelmed and struggling which Elizabeth says is often simply delayed obedience. She offers simple directions and is so aware of practical matters. I'm so grateful for this podcast that I was hesitant to write a review because I can't convey adequately how much it means to me and the changes that have come about in my family because of it. Well, thank you for that note from Australia. Well, our time together is coming to an end, but thanks for letting us come into your home, your office, along with you as you get some exercise, wherever we found you today. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliot Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out all the resources available at ElizabethElliot.org. Lectures, talks, devotionals, videos, and more. ElizabethElliot.org. And until next time, may God remind you daily that you're loved with an everlasting love. And underneath are what? That's right. Underneath are the everlasting arms.